will be in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 1. A few years ago, I was driving through Seven Hills, and I saw the cutest thing. A guy was mowing his lawn. Now, he wasn't really cute, uh, but what was cute was his little son in gumboots behind him with his little plastic lawnmower. And so dad's doing all the work, but the boy, he's into it. He's just furiously mowing the lawn, and he's got these little gumboots on, and, he, and he, while he's doing it, he's looking up and making sure his form is right. You know, he's really copying dad and imitating him as best as possible. And uh, I, I know that his dad didn't make him do that. And say, son, you got to learn how to work. And he bought him this lawnmower so the boy could actually, you know, be out there because he wanted free labor. It was, it was the kid's desire to be like dad, to be with him, to work with him, to, to follow in his hero's footsteps. And uh, as children of God, that's how we can be. That's how we ought to be in following Jesus. That it's not a chore to be like him because it's his spirit that fills us. And we, we realize what a God, how awesome is Christ that he would lay down his life for us, that he would speak to us kindly, that he would bless us so abundantly. And not everything that kids do are cute when they're mimicking or imitating someone, right? That you get a pretty good reflection sometimes that's not pretty, like a mirror in the morning. You, you realize that you hear your, your son or daughter bossing one of the other kids around, and it's a bit of a wake-up call. We think, do I use that tone? Do I use those words? Wow, it sounds pretty bad coming out of their mouth, but uh, do I realize that I sound very much the same? Um, so we need to be discerning in how we imitate and what we follow. And in this chapter, uh, coming to chapter 5, Paul spent the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about our identity, our position in Christ, all the blessings that God's given us. And in chapter 4, he emphasizes how that should impact our choices, our identity, our perspective. We've been raised to new life with Jesus, and therefore we should live differently. We should have a different outlook with Christ as our focus. We're members of the body, it says. We're called to edify one another. In love, we're to put off the old man that's marked with sinful habits and be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new man that's created uh, in righteousness and true holiness. This should be what marks our life, the love of Christ, and it should be our desire that our life be marked by his love. Because we can't do this just by trying. We need him. We need to be born again. The previous chapter concludes in verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We can't do this, can we, on our own? We can't change like a, a leopard can't change its spots. We cannot be loving like Jesus is loving until we're born again through faith in him. It's kind of like asking a chook to become a crocodile. It's just not happening. There's a new nature that's needed. And now that we have a new nature, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He enables us to do all that he's commanded. Starting in verse 1, 
Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear, dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Jesus spent a lot more time and energy demonstrating his love rather than talking up how much he loved everyone, how much the Father loved. If you go through the Gospels, you'll see that uh, John focuses on that quite a bit, but Jesus is not recorded often as saying, like, I love you guys. God loves you guys. It does say that, but he was really about loving them, wasn't he? More than words, he was doing it. He was healing people. He was feeding them. He, he would go to that sick person, that one, and he would speak to him or to her. He, he spoke to the outcast at the well, right? The woman who was um, caught in adultery we talked about last week that he said, where are your accusers? Who's condemning you? None, my Lord. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. His love was evident towards his enemies. He prayed for them. And even his disciples who betrayed him, his love was just flowing out of his life continuously. He didn't come to condemn people. Their sins condemned them already. As the light of the world, his, his righteousness, his truth, it shone their hypocrisy. It, it exposed it. And I don't think we like it when our sin is exposed. Just like a kid does not enjoy being corrected. We're called, as God's dear children, it says, to seek to imitate his loving example. And this passage says he did that by giving himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. He was patient, kind, without envy or boasting. He was not proud, rude, or self-seeking. He did not keep record of wrongs. He didn't rejoice in evil, but in the truth. And he showed the love when, when people brought babies to him. And he stopped what he was doing to hold them and to bless them. And even when he sought to leave the crowds with his disciples so that, I mean, they didn't even have time to eat. Ministry was so full on. And as they're like, all right, guys, come aside and rest for a while. And who shows up? The crowds. So he, he ministers to them. He didn't chastise them for seeking him. The only way that God's love is going to be real in our lives is if we're born again. And uh, we choose to submit to his rule and be those willing sacrifices. That's the defining characteristic of Christ's disciples, his love. I read this Spurgeon quote. He said, I've heard of an atheist who said he could get over every argument except the example of his godly mother. He could never answer that. There was an agreement between the mom's faith and the way that she lived that could not be spoken against. It was a testimony of the reality of God's existence and the love of Christ that shone through her. And it couldn't be, it was just always there. It couldn't be rationalized or explained away as she's just a really nice person. No, it was God in her. It was the love of Christ being revealed. And in just ordinary activities, the daily grind, and we can show the love of Jesus in just simple ways that make an eternal impact in the lives of others. Ephesians 5, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is, fitting, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Our righteousness, the scriptures say, it doesn't come through law, but through faith in Jesus. And since we've been made righteous, our lives are to be lived righteously. We're to walk clean. One thing that always bugged me, uh, one of my, I guess, chores growing up was washing the dog or the dogs. And we had one dog in particular, Sporty, who was just a filthy dog. He always had fleas. It didn't matter how much you washed him. He had fleas. He was stinky, dusty. You could just slap him, and his fur just kept that dust, and it was just everywhere. It's like, ugh. So you would wash him, right? The first thing he'd do when he was free from your clutches is he would sprint to the biggest dirt pile he could find, and he would just roll in it. It was like he didn't like being clean. He just went, this is what a dog loved to do. And he didn't have, there was no, like I knew, because I just cleaned him and said, hey, I just cleaned you. You're supposed to stay clean. But he didn't get that. His nature was, I don't like how this feels. I want to feel like a dog, a dirty, stinky dog. And that's exactly how he behaved. So having been made clean now by Christ, we're not to go wallow in the sin that used to mark our lives. Because we know God has cleaned me. I am now purified of that sin. And it's like I'm wearing my nice clothes now. I'm not going to go jump in the puddles because my condition has changed. There was conduct that God calls sin. It was acceptable. It was viewed as essential, even beneficial in those days and here in Australia today across the world, and as God's children, we're to adopt a standard that's fitting for saints, fitting for our new nature, knowing that we've been cleansed, having a mind that's been cleansed, a body purified from sin, that we're not to engage in that, we're not to pursue that anymore. Fornication, any sex outside the bounds of marriage, it's sin. It's widely accepted today. But Proverbs 6.32, it says, Whoever commits adultery lacks understanding and destroys his own soul. It's also a sin against your own body. It's written in 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The word fornication, it's to prostitute yourself. It's the word used to describe of Esau where he said, uh, don't let there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. That's in Hebrews 12, 16. Esau had the birthright from God, but he traded it for a meal. He was willing to give away what God had provided him as the firstborn for lunch. And God's given us purity now. He's given us holiness. And uh, in marriage, monogamy. Before marriage, chastity, purity, and we're not to trade that for pleasure. We're not to trade that for anything because he has made us pure. We're now in him. Impurity, covetousness, it says, not to be found among us as children of God. And as we go through this list, you'll see that if you feel like you dodge one, you're like, oh, well, don't have a problem with that. Well, take heed lest you, you know, if you, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. And also... As we go down the list, you'll see that it's a very broad brush, broad as the globe. It will paint you. Um, and there's a capacity in you for sin. 
We have to be mindful we don't go into it. And he goes on to all these things that are common, socially acceptable, having a dirty mind, using obscene speech, foolish talking. It can show itself in bragging, uh, boasting, gossip, speech that doesn't take God into account, coarse jesting, innuendo, off-color jokes. These are not fitting for saints. It's like no bride on the big day would be content to walk down the aisle wearing a dress that has a huge wine stain on it, has uh, some horse manure that's been splattered on it, and huge cuts in the fabric. Like no, no one who recognizes the, the gravity of that occasion would be content to look that way. No CEO would be wearing the slacks that his mother made him when he was six to that big meeting where they don't even reach his knees. And he's like, no, that would be, it would not be fitting, right? It's not the right attire for the occasion. Lab coats, they're worn by scientists in the lab or by medical practitioners in the office, but outside at a restaurant. Have you ever gone to a steakhouse and you see someone in their lab coat in there? It's got some stains on it. No, it's not fitting. They keep that in the lab. Maybe you're not very fashion savvy like me. You need to you say, what, what is business casual in Australia? I'm not exactly sure what that is. Could you please help me? So we need assistance with how to dress. Like what is the right thing for all these different ways to, uh, like I don't even know all those things. I have to ask somebody. And, and the Ephesians, and likely us, we need instruction on what's acceptable, what's fitting, for the, what's fitting conduct as a child of God. Because it's not natural to us. It's the way that God wants us to live, and that's not the way we naturally are. And so we need him to instruct us. We need him to help us to learn what's fitting. Unlike styles of dress which change, the righteousness of God does not change. He says, I change not. So God remains the same. His standard, it's perfect, and it's eternal. So it doesn't go out of style. What's righteous is righteous. We have to change. He says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And it's really important that we let these words sink into our hearts without caveat. Because if we'll take them to heart and think about them, we should all be very anxious about our condition with God at face value. Because we are all guilty of these things, right? So if the person whose life is marked by these sins, cannot in any way have part of the kingdom of God, an inheritance in it. Well, if you love God and want to be with him, then this is trouble for us because no one marked by them has any inheritance. Could you please turn to Matthew 22, verse 11? In our natural condition, we're very much like the man in the parable that we're going to read at the wedding feast without the appropriate attire. The background of this parable is there was a king and he invited all kinds of people, both good and bad, to this great feast that he was holding. And as was customary in that day, it was known that in the presence of the king, you would need to wear the right clothes. And the king graciously supplied those clothes. So there was no excuse. You couldn't say, oh, I, I don't have a tux, I can't go. He would say, well, here is the clothes, custom fit just for you. All of my guests will be thus attired. 
in royalty. Matthew 22, verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. The king goes in to mingle with the guests. But there was one man among the guests who was not wearing the appropriate clothes. And it's like the king's gaze just locked in on this man. And he doesn't talk to one of his handlers to say, hey, go talk to that guy. Make sure he's wearing the right clothes. Does he know the rules? No, he just goes right up to the guy. And he says, friend, how did you get in here not wearing the appropriate clothes? Like, why would you even think you could come in here not wearing the right clothes? And what was the man's response? Speechless. He had no excuse. The king had given the invitation. The king had provided the clothing. He had opened his palace. He had prepared the feast. And yet he chose to ignore it. He knew the king's requirement. He didn't say, oh, I didn't know. Nobody told me. You think when he came in through the door, people said, hey, you're, you know you're supposed to wear this. Ah, you know, I don't need to wear that. It doesn't really fit me. It's a little confining. I just, I want to be myself. I want to wear what I want to wear. And such an insult to the king. A little thing was required to attend the, get, the, the party as a guest, but he was unwilling to do it. And for that, now having come in, there was no hope for him. There was no going back. And the king says, bind him hand and foot and take him away. And it was done. The wedding garment, it was a mark of the king's favor. Through Christ, we receive a robe of righteousness and we trust in him. Again, quoting Spurgeon, he says, If you make a profession of religion out of bravado and keep it up by sheer deceit, you may hide yourself away among your family connections or think that your respectability will screen you, but you are mistaken. You have to deal with one whose eyes are as a flame of fire, and he will so unmask you that you will not have a word to say in your own defense. There are some who think they can enter heaven on their own terms, but they cannot. It's only by the permission and of this just, righteous God who has created all things. But if we'll, be, if we'll repent, we can be forgiven. We can have a new life in heaven forever. I love what uh, Jesus says in John six thirty seven. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. That was a big verse in the conversion of Paul Bunyan, or excuse me, John Bunyan, that I will by no means cast out. If you come to me, yes, you are a sinner. You have sinned. But if you come to me, I won't cast you out. I will receive you joyfully. I will give you that robe of righteousness. You are accepted in the beloved through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 6 in Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. I grew up going to church. And one thing that I used to hear a lot, I don't hear it so much anymore, was the term backsliding. Was that a common term in your Christian 
experience. I think in the 80s it was like a catchphrase or something. Uh, in context, it was really an admission of not living up to God's standard. Being out of regular fellowship or sliding into old habits. To me, it seems a bit of a, an excuse or a cop-out, like it's a normal or acceptable cycle that every Christian finds himself in. And uh, only God knows, but it could be that a lot of those chronic backsliders, self-professed backsliders, had actually never been born again. But they had been in a church long enough in church culture to realize their life was riddled with things that God calls sin. But admitting this struggle, it eased a guilty conscience, and their admission brought favor of other supportive believers who were willing to, hey, we all have struggles. We all have difficulties, right? And we want to support the weak brother or sister because we're weak too. We need support and help. So if we say we're born again, but we've undergone no change, if we're like the dog that just runs right back to the dust and has no desire to live a, a life that's pleasing to God, oh, we're happy to keep up, uh, up appearances so that we appear righteous, but before God, that's not acceptable. We know that. That's why people say, oh, yeah, I've been backsliding a bit lately. And, well, the Lord will heal your backslidings, and don't do that anymore by His grace. Make those changes. So he says, because of the sin, uncleanness, idolatry, and greed, God's wrath, it will be poured out. So it's not acceptable. This is why judgment's coming. As children of God, we're not to continue in rebellion against him, to be partakers of those who walk in darkness. We have to realize that the difference between righteousness and sin is really life and death. It's that important. If you are going to a place where you know there's a plague or Ebola or something very uh, virulent and would, it's a death sentence if you get it, something very serious, you would take a lot of precautions before going into that environment. You would glove up. You would go through the, the, uh, the sprays and the chemical washes to ensure that you're not carrying any of that disease out of that con contained area. And it's the same thing with sin. We need to be cautious. We have been washed clean from sin, but we're not to really indulge in it, be around it, let it have a place in our hearts. If we see it there, we need to call it out as sin, not just a moment of weakness. No, this is, this is sin coming through, and we have to own that. We have to decide, are we going to follow Jesus or something else? Are we going to follow our own hearts? And there's this really telling story in um, Two Kings about Joash and Athaliah. Perhaps you know this one. King Ahaziah reigned in Jerusalem. Following his death, the queen mother, Athaliah, she slaughtered all of her grandsons so she could rule. Pretty brutal that she would do that. But one of the grandsons, Joash, was secreted away and kept in the temple for six years while he was weaned and raised. And there came a day when the high priest, Jehoiada, who knew about Joash being there, that he was the rightful heir to the throne, he liaised with the captain of the guard and said, all right, now's the time for anointing. It's the time for the inauguration. And uh, we need to protect the king. We need to make sure that he is safely 
brought to the throne. And so while the king is standing there, he's holding the testimony, little guy, crown on, everyone's shouting, they're rejoicing that, that the, the wicked queen mother is no longer going to be reigning, that the, the rightful king is on the throne. She hears it and she comes in. And she sees the king there. It says she tears her clothes and shouts, treason, treason. Now, this is pretty rich coming from this lady. But this is what happens. 2 Kings eleven fifteen. And Jehoiada, the high priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. They knew that she was going to be executed for her crimes. But he said, not only take her outside, but whoever follows her. Now, she had handlers. She had bodyguards. She had advisors. She had a general. She had all these people who all of a sudden have to make a snap decision. Am I going to transfer my loyalty to Joash, little boy, the rightful king, and bow before him in reverence, falling upon him for mercy? Or am I going to follow the queen? to my death. So who you follow matters. God knows if our hearts are sincere or not. You could fool Joash, but you can't fool God. Paul writes, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Notice we weren't merely in darkness, we were darkness. It says, you were darkness. All, you are filled with sin, completely sinful. But now we've been made light in the Lord. This dynamic change has occurred within us by the grace of God through faith in Him. In the darkness, the light of one candle can be seen from, for kilometers, and Jesus is brighter than the sun. If he's shining through us, there will be an illumination. There will be some, his love will be evident in our lives and purity. Like trees planted by rivers of water will grow in our understanding of what's acceptable to the Lord. And this word finding out, it could be literally translated putting to the test, approving or discerning. When you start a new job, Let's say you know the job really well. You know what it means to be an administrator or an executive or management. But whenever you start a new job, there is a process of finding out things. You find out where you're supposed to park, how you get into the, the complex, where the, where the food is, where the best coffee is, you know, the necessities. Uh, there's a certain amount of finding out. Uh, who's your coworkers? Who's on your team? Where your office is? The best way to get out when it's quitting time. Like there's all these things that you, you have to find out as an employee. Now imagine if you were born in a prison in darkness and now coming out of that as an adult, you've been adopted into the, the, uh, the king's house. He has adopted you as his own child, and you're now living in a palace. Now, there's a lot of things that were very acceptable in prison to do that are not acceptable to do in the king's presence. And it would be either a tutor or the king himself who would, knowing your ignorance, graciously pull you up and say, that may be okay in the prison. That may be okay in solitary confinement. But here, you're now a child of the king. 
and there's a way that's acceptable to behave in his presence. And we're not against you. We don't hate you, but this is how things are now. It would take some finding out, right? And we've come to Christ now. We were darkness, but now we're light in the Lord, and we have a whole new way of approaching life. Ways that were habitual and, and chronic in our lives now has changed. And we're, we're to accept and rejoice in this new way, the way of righteousness that we're to walk in. When, that, when God's word exposes a sin in our heart, that's for us to repent of and then to do what he has called us to do instead. You guys know what videos would be fitting to share or to like on social media. We also should be discerning about what we watch, just generally. Like you're like, okay, and I do this. I say, well, I'm not going to like that because if I do, it gives the impression that it could, I just don't want to be offensive to somebody. So I don't. We have all sorts of layers of thinking and rationale that we go through with our behavior and the things that we do and don't do. Instead of sharing in sin, it, we're called to expose them. And this doesn't mean going on a crusade against all the evils in the world. Um, we need to recognize and root out the sin that's inside of us. The ways that we behave, the ways that we act, the way that we think that's not fitting or acceptable before God. We need to call those sinful behaviors sin and worthy of the wrath of God. Realize that this, sin is serious. It was, it was leading me to death, but now Jesus has saved me. I'm not to, to go into that anymore. Better to tell God I'm guilty of sin and I'm sorry and confess our sin than to act like we've done nothing wrong before the God who knows everything already. Why do we try to deny or hide our sickness from the one through whom we have healing and redemption? He's, he's the good doctor. He's the one who can save us, who can help us, more than any medical professional. But even when it comes to a medical professional, we may only tell him some of the story. Let's be honest with the Lord. Sin is as normal for us and needful in our flesh as eating. Proverbs 30, 20, it says, This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Just like eating meal. Just have to feed the flesh. Sinners don't have the luxury of determining or dictating what sin is. God has said that. And we, we're the ones who need to admit uh, that we have sinned. Because all things are exposed and made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest in light. When light is turned on in a dark room, everything becomes clear. This last... Uh, Friday night, we had a little bit of a mishap about 3.30. Maybe you guys were awakened by a big storm. Well, some of the storm decided to come into my bedroom and splash all over my face, which was an odd way to wake up, uh, a little unexpected. But we it was at the point you just had to turn on the light and find out what is happening in here. It had come in through the window, like the, the window, it had come through the, I don't know, around the, the, yeah, the casing around the window landed on the sill and was splashing me. All right, so we had to get towels and everything. Now, the light was really useful to discern what the problem was. I didn't hate the light at that point. But if you're trying to sleep and you think it's a prank, 
you hate the light. You're like, man, turn that light off. That's unkind what you're doing. But imagine the difference if that light is shown in your face and you're being shaken and the house is engulfed and it's, you are in harm's way. You would have appreciation for that light, for being awakened from sleep. God says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Instead of hating the light, we ought to hate the sin. Instead of trying to run from the light, we need to deal with that sin. Now, our flesh, it would rather be asleep than wake. Can I get an amen? When those, those, those covers are feeling so nice and warm on a cold day, and you're like, oh, I really like, I feel comfortable here. I like how it says, arise from the dead. Now, how can the dead hear that? Well, they can hear the voice of God, and God empowers them to rise. The Christian sleeping in darkness and the one dead in sins without Christ, they're about as viable as one another at that time. But he says, both of you guys, get up, wake up, stand up, stand up for righteousness. Know that it's Jesus who calls you, it's Jesus who loves you, and he will give you light. Verses 15 and 16, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Since Christ is our light, we're enabled to walk circumspectly, which means accurately, diligently, carefully, and perfectly. We're to seize those opportunities to do the things that please God. Notice the passage says, awake you who sleep. And see then that you walk circumspectly. As we read this, as we're dealing with sin, I imagine that perhaps it has come to mind people who you think this message would really, they would benefit from hearing this. They would benefit hearing this exhortation to put off sin and live righteously. You're like, oh yeah, they're doing that. And they're involved in this. And they, they need to make a change. Whilst this may be true, it's completely irrelevant because God is speaking to you. That's why it says you. <laughs> it doesn't say they. It says you. God's talking to me. Under the spotlight of God's word, our eyes dart all over the place. We try to, whoa, try to find some place to, some sort of way to ease this conscience and get away. We, we might suggest that the sins of others are far more pressing and damaging. The deceptions that they are laboring under are, are far more risky than us. But God wants you to stop being preoccupied with the sins of others. Realize that you are in his sights. It's you that he's approached like a king at the feast. And God, I love this, he can speak to anyone at any time, even people that don't believe in him. He can speak to them. He can communicate truth to them in a way that's transformative that I can't, none of us can do. God can speak to anyone at any time, but today he's speaking to you. It's you that he's speaking to. Thankfully, today is the day of salvation. If we will hear his voice and repent and come to him, we will be saved. We will have light. And he says, you imitate Jesus. You walk in love. You walk as a child of light. You wake from sleep. You rise from the dead. See that you walk wisely. You find out what's acceptable. 
When we're aware of believers overtaken in sin, we can follow Christ's example and that exhortation that we should seek to restore those who are overtaken in a trespass, knowing that we too, we have repented, but we could easily fall again. You can't wake the dead, but unless you're walking in the light, our words mean very little. If you want, you think about the people perhaps that you pray for that you know are, are struggling under sin. Your obedience to walk wisely and in love, following Christ's example, will be far more powerful and effective than manipulation, bribery, or guilt. It's the power of God in you that will make all the difference. Paul was living in evil days when these words were penned. We too live in an evil day. Think of the verse in Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We see this, don't we? Where the world says, well, this is good. And God's like, this is sin. Go, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's righteousness. <laughs> we see that. We see the hypocrisy. And we can be offended by it. We can be angered by it but we need to recognize and hate it in ourselves when it's there. It's easy for us to look at the world and see evil being called good and good evil, but remember, those who are doing so, they're in darkness. We are in light. We are to walk, therefore, in the light. We are the ones to whom God says, redeem the time because the days are evil. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. You redeem the time. You can't control what other people do or what they think, but you redeem the time. You make most of the opportunities that God's given you because being alive on this planet, it is a season of opportunity to glorify and live for God. Walking in love, investing our lives in what will endure. Could you please turn to Jude chapter 1, 17. In fact, I think it's only one chapter. So, 17. And this is to me, this is to you, this exhortation. Jude 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In contrast to the ungodly that Judas just described in great detail, who were under God's wrath as we once were, he says, this is what you ought to do, believer. And twice in the small section, he says, but you, beloved. Like everyone's living a certain way. Everyone's going after their own fancy, after their own lust. But you, beloved, knowing that you are beloved by God. And it doesn't matter what, what other people do. You do this thing because you're loved by God. Not because you're trying to earn his love. He loves you. 
and in response to his love, this is how you ought to live. These are the things that are fitting for you as a believer. You build yourself up on your most holy faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit. You keep yourself in the love of God. You look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have compassion. You save others through the gospel. You pull them out of the fire. You hate even the garments defiled by the flesh. We're not to souvenir those filthy things for ourselves. Whenever the children of Israel went into the land that God promised them, there were idols in the land, and God always said, destroy their altars, destroy their images, don't souvenir them for yourselves, don't melt them down and use them, destroy them. Destroy the memory of them in honoring God. So hating even that garment defiled by the flesh, like I'll have nothing to do with that thing. It's a filthy rag, get it away. It has no part in my life because I've been purified. I am now light in the Lord. May we hate sin in our own flesh and repent, putting it far from us. The things that you hate, you want nothing to do with. If there's a flavor in food that you hate, you avoid it. We can be pretty good about doing that. If you know something doesn't agree with you, we can be very careful about avoiding that in our diet. But are we that discerning with sin? Are we that careful to avoid the things that we look at, to avoid the things that we think about? to avoid the things that we do. And then, not just to avoid the sin, but to live righteously as God's commanded, as Jesus showed his love. So it's time to wake up. It's time to rise from the dead, to find out what's acceptable to the Lord. And the question is, who are you following today? Are you willing to do what Jesus asks you? You, because he's talking to you. He's talking to me. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Praise the Lord that through our lives we can be an acceptable sacrifice by his grace, that we can be that aroma of life that is pleasing in God's sight. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the light of your word that you don't say harsh or strong things to, to browbeat or humiliate, but you speak the truth. And I pray, Lord, we would be humbled before you, that we wouldn't be as that uh, man that entered the feast in the parable who refused to put on the robes and, and thought that he was acceptable in himself. Lord, I am a sinner. We are all sinners. We are once darkness, but by your grace, you've made us light in the Lord. You've given us a new nature. And I pray we wouldn't be like the dog that just runs back to the, the dust pile, that we wouldn't uh, just be marked by the sin that you have washed us clean of. Lord, making us a new heart, creating us a new heart that desires to find out what's acceptable to you and walk into it joyfully. Help us to be imitators of God as dear children, that our eyes would be on you. We wouldn't be hamstrung by the flesh. We wouldn't be distracted by the sins of others. Lord, we would have such a relationship with you that everything else fades away, becomes dim and obscured in the light of your glory and grace. We thank you for your salvation, for the hope that's in Christ, for our brothers and sisters here who do help us, who do uh, bring to mind your truth and, and keep us from backsliding, Lord. Keep us from, from wandering from you. And it's our fault, Lord. We are sinners. We need your salvation. Thanks again 
for these, these words of comfort today, and may we take them to heart in Jesus' name. Amen.